book in the Bible to find? It's Genesis. You might have trouble with some of the other ones, but that's the easiest one. Genesis, Genesis, Genesis. Genesis chapter 1. We're going to start on the first page. First things first, amen. You know that, uh, you know, priorities are important to God. Priorities are important. God is always about prioritizing. God is about keeping things in order. God is about keeping uh, things in order by the importance that he has. And uh, God doesn't really care about your priorities if you have no concern for his priorities. And in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, you don't have to turn there because we're going to get to Genesis chapter 1, but Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, God talks about priorities. He talks about what comes first. He talks about what is most important. And he says in that verse, many of you have heard it, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then there's a qualifier, and then all these things will be added unto you. Seek ye first, not second, not third. Ultimately, what's he saying? He's saying that if you'll seek my kingdom, you'll find that that's all you really need to seek. If you'll look after and go after my kingdom, then that's really all, that's really the only priority that you need. Because if you will make a priority of my kingdom, I'll make a priority of your life. Is ultimately what he's saying. If you'll put me first, if you'll put my word first, if you'll put me first in your life, then I'll put you first in everything that I do. But the qualifier is that we seek first the kingdom of God. And, you know, it's, it's funny that he says seek first as if, you know, then you can go seek. But the funny thing is, is, you know, if you seek him first, then that's all the seeking you have to do. Seek first. The kingdom. So God is about priorities. God uh, loves to place things in order. God is a God of order. God is not a God of chaos. God is not a God of last minute. God is not a God of spontaneity. Okay, it might seem spontaneous to us. Like, God, where's that money? I need that, that bill's coming up. Okay, that bill's past due. All right, where, where are we at? I need the, the money. Oh, there it is. It's just been standing and believing. But God has everything ordered out. He, in fact, says that he will order your steps if we remain righteous. You realize that violating God's word does not obligate it to work for us? I mean, it sounds like a simple principle. If I don't do what the Bible tells me to do, then I'm not gonna, it's not going to work in my life. But yet, you know, sometimes I think as, as believers, we expect the word to still work and we still... Expect God to show up in our lives, even though we're not seeking him at all. We still think that we're a priority to him when he's not a priority to us. And I can tell you that God cares about you. I can tell you that God is full of grace and mercy. His mercies are new every morning. The Bible does tell us that. But at some point, we've got to take responsibility for applying and living out the word for ourselves. And so there's a priority that needs to take place. There's a seeking that we must do to see the kingdom of God operate in our lives. And we are a kingdom church. That, that's who we are. The, the word is founded on a kingdom principle. Um, and uh, there is a uh, message 
that I believe is underlining through the entire Bible from Genesis 1 through Revelation 21. I believe that there is an underlying message that the Bible declares and decrees to us that we've missed for so long. And, um, you know, I, I try my best, uh, even if I don't portray it, all of my messages, everything I preach, everything we do in this church has this underlining principle under it. But I've just got to take time every now and then to bring it back to you. I've got to take time every now and then to, to put it back in front of you. And there's some of you in this room that probably uh, may have never heard me preach along these lines, although these principles underline everything that we do and minister and, and talk about in this church. And that is the kingdom of God. Last week, I made a statement for those of you that were here. I said, how many of you believe that government is the answer to the world today? And I really got a lot more smiles and chuckles and laughs and, yeah, right, whatever, Pastor Mark. Uh, but I actually meant that in all seriousness because uh, I am convinced that government is the answer for all of the world's problems today. And there were even some of you in this room that have heard me talk along these lines that I got a response from. I was like, oh, okay, we've got to go back to some stuff. It's amazing how the word... Even though it never changes, we change. You know, it's real easy for us to take the word and line it up to our lives and line it up to our situations. And especially in this day and age, seeing everything that's going on in the world today, the last thing you want to think about is government's going to answer all my problems. But what happens is, is we put on lenses. We put on lenses based upon what we're currently going through. And what we see today in this world, yes, that's not the problem or that's not the answer to the problem. Our government is the problem. Governments are the problem. And the reason that's the problem is because anything that you try to duplicate outside of God's original intention for it will fail. But I'm here to tell you today that God came to establish a government. He did not come to establish religion. He didn't come to establish Christianity. He didn't even come to establish relationship. God did not come and put Adam on the earth so he could have a relationship with mankind because he was so lonely and, and all by himself up in heaven that he said, I need to create somebody else. There was a purpose. We've talked about purpose before and we've said that until you understand the purpose for something, abuse is inevitable. Until you understand the purpose for something, Abuse is inevitable. You will fail at operating the thing properly until you understand why you have it. And purpose always answers the question, why? Purpose always answers the question, why? Purpose, once you answer why, then you can understand what, then you can understand when, then you can understand where, and then you can understand how. But until I know why, the what and the when and the where and the how won't line up. And we see this in our world today. Uh, you've you know, heard me talk about using the example of prescription medications. Well, prescription medications, they have a purpose. You know, if I go and get Advil from the store, it's got a purpose. And it tells me on the back what the purpose is for. And then the what and the when I should take it and how I should take it all lines up with the why I'm taking it. But if I don't get the why right, 
If I want to take something over the counter for a different purpose than what it's designed to do. I'm going to abuse it. It's called drug abuse. I will not use it for a proper intention and it will hurt me. Why? Because I didn't get back to its original intention. Purpose is always found in the original intent for something. Purpose is the original intent. Intent means this is what I plan on doing with it. And God designed this world and God created you and I for an original intent. And I'll just be honest. I mean, I grew up in church and it was very rare that we went back to Genesis chapter one. Besides, uh, you know, when I was a kid and we just wanted to talk about, you know, God made the stars and God made the sky and God made all the sea creatures and God made all the cows and all the giraffes and all the lions. And then God made you and I. I very rarely went back to Genesis one with the mindset of I want to find out what God was intending to do. From the very beginning. But that's what Genesis 1 is. We only have two perfect chapters in the Bible. Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Genesis 3, everything falls apart. And now we've got the mess that we see today. But if you want to find out what God was really intending to do. If you want to find out what God was really trying to accomplish. If you want to find the why... For why we're here, why the earth is here, why there's a God. You've got to go to the original intent. You can't just go to the cross. Because the cross won't give you the original intent. You can't just go to Jesus because Jesus won't give you the original intent. Outside of going back to the very beginning. Purpose is found in the very beginning. You know, and we can't take what someone else has intended to do with the gospel message and intended to do with the church and make that our intention because it's still not God's intention. I want to find out what God intended to do. I want to find out what God was planning to do. I want to discover the purpose. And so in Genesis chapter one, we are going to begin with verse 26. We know verse one says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created the heavens and and the earth. And that word heavens is not heaven where God lives. Heavens just means the realm of the sky. And then we've got the earth itself. And this actually is going to be a very good precursor uh, into next month's series that I'm going to be ministering. I'm going to be ministering a series called Heaven is for Real. Heaven is for Real. There's three things. Number one, I believe that the Bible is the most misunderstood book in the earth today. The Bible is the most misunderstood book in the earth today. Number two, I believe Jesus is the most misunderstood person in the earth today. But number three, I believe that heaven is the most misunderstood place in the earth today. And so we're going to go next month on a journey of heaven and what heaven is. But we're going to find out. We're going to go to the person that actually came from heaven. Instead of going to people that entered the world on this earth and then just have an illusion of heaven. Let's go to the one that actually was in heaven, came down and then went back. 
Let's go to Jesus. Let's find out what Jesus had to say about heaven. And it was very different than what you probably are expecting or thinking he talked about heaven. But in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Now, image and likeness have nothing to do with what we look like. It has to do with how we function. It has more to do with our design than the actual natural aspects of us. I mean, if God looked like us, then that would be a jumbled mess because we all look different. <laughs> we all look too different to look like God. Well, I have his facial features. I have God's six pack. I've got muscles like God. I've have God's height. God probably weighs about as much as I mean. It's just, you can't narrow it down to that, but. I can narrow it down to I can operate and function like God. Now, why would God want to create another being that can function and design, uh, function and do like him? Function and operate like him. Why would I need to be designed in the way that God is designed so I can do the things that God does. Well, look at the next passage. Let them have dominion. Let them. He says, let us make. And then after we're done making, we're done. Let them have dominion. What's dominion? Dominion means authority. Dominion means to control to manage, and to govern. If you have dominion over something, that means you're in charge. In essence, he's saying you're in charge. So we'll, we will create another being like us, but they're going to have dominion. Over what? Over the fish of the sea. Over the birds of the air. And over the cattle and then over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So let's take a look. God says, let us make man. That's God's job. Let us. Who's us? God, the father, God, the son, Jesus, the word, and then God, the Holy Spirit. Who's been in operation all the way up. Genesis 1 Verse 1 through 25, they've been in operation. God wants to create a thing. He sends out his word. Jesus goes out, uh, creates it, and then the Holy Spirit hovers over it and makes it makes sure it's accomplished. So the three of them have been operating in tandem this entire time. Now they get to man. We're on the sixth day now. He says, let us make man in our image. In our likeness, so they can function and operate just like we do. And let them have dominion. Well, you know, authority is useless without territory. If you don't have anything to rule over, then you're really not in charge of anything. You cannot have authority without something to dominate. 
something to control, something to rule over. So let's give them dominion, authority. Let's give them the ability to control and govern. Govern what? The earth. Everything that we just spent the last five days creating, we're going to place this man in charge. Mankind is going to be in charge. Verse 27, so God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So God did it. Apparently the plan sounded good enough to go ahead and follow through with it. Everybody on the board said aye. They agreed. And so now we have earth. And now we have someone to rule it other than God. Other than God. Look at Psalms chapter 24. Other than God. Now, does this mean that God is not in charge? No. Does this mean that God is not sovereign? No. God is sovereign. Psalms chapter 24, verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's in all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. The earth is, belongs to the Lord and all its fullness, everything it contains, even the people that dwell in it, belong to Him. See, God is owner of the earth by what we call the right of creation. Because he created it, it belongs to him. Because he put it in existence, it belongs to him. But there's a difference between owning something and ruling something. There's a difference between owning something and ruling something. And when you rule over something that you do not own, that's called stewardship. Stewardship is how well I control the affairs of another. Stewardship is how well I take care of what doesn't belong to me, but I'm taking care of it in place of somebody else. Stewardship is the ability to take care of something that's been put into my possession. Something that someone has given me charge over, but I don't own it. And so Adam and all of mankind becomes stewards of what God put in his possession. Man does not own the earth. Man does not have the right to rule on the earth as he pleases. He's to now steward over it. He's now to steward over it. I mean, you know, if Brent was going out of town. They said, hey, man, I'm going out of town, but I need you to, to drive my truck for me. I need you to take care of my truck. Well, I don't own it, but I do have a right to take care of it. I have a responsibility. And even though it may be a privilege to, to drive his truck, I don't own it. Well, I'll drive it however I want. I'll do whatever I want with it. We get in trouble when we are not stewards 
of what we own. We get in trouble when we don't take care of something that's been placed in our possession as we've been told to take care of it. Again, we're talking about the original intent. We're talking about God's original design, God's original plan for the earth and for mankind. Because, look, if we don't understand the original intention for something, we will abuse it. We'll abuse our lives. We'll abuse the church. We'll abuse uh, the, what, what God has called. We'll abuse our purpose. Because you realize that your purpose is tied up in his purpose. You realize that your purpose in life is tied to his purpose for your life. So if you try to get a different purpose for your life outside of the purpose he has for your life, you will fail in life. I don't care how much money you get. I don't care how many kids you have. I don't care what kind of house and, you know, how early you're able to retire. None of that is purpose. None of that is true success. So the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell Therein. So God has created an earth realm, a natural realm, and he creates this realm to mimic or replicate heaven itself. Now, God is a king. We know this throughout the Bible. We pull out all kinds. Of, God is a king and a king always establishes one type of government system, a kingdom. God did not establish a democracy. God did not give man a say-so. God did not give man the, uh, the ability to vote on things. God did not give man the, the opportunity to have a say-so in what goes on. We're not on his corporate board. God is a king. And when the king says something, it becomes a law. And not even the king can take back a law. Not even the king can go back on something that he has said. Not even the king can say, ah, scratch that, don't worry about that. You may remember in Daniel. You know, Daniel got in trouble because a a, a lot of people hated the fact that he was praying to God. A lot of people hated the fact that he wasn't serving and honoring the king. And so they went to the king. King Darius was his name. And Darius was actually good friends with Daniel, but they tricked him. And they said, look, you're the king. Everybody should be worshiping and praising you. Everyone should be bowing down to you. And so you should make a decree. You should put something in the land. You should make a law that states that if anyone is caught worshiping or praising anybody else, we throw them in a, in a, in a pit of lions. There's a consequence for that. So he says, yeah, that sounds good. Let's do that. Not thinking about Daniel and Daniel, the one that loves to pray to his God, God, the creator of the universe, God, the one that placed him in the earth. And so obviously Daniel is now has a contradiction. Do I pray to God as I used to or do I go and just pray and praise the king and bow down to the king and forget about God? Well, you know what he did. He kept on praying. Well, that caused the problem. Because now Darius, Darius's friend, Daniel, is bound by the law. And not even King Darius can say, hey, no, this is an exception. No, he's the king. And he created a law. And he can't even take the law back. And so Daniel gets thrown in the lion's den. 
Why? Because when a king speaks, it becomes law. And so God is sovereign. God is sovereign. He's a sovereign king. He's the creator of the universe. He is the king. But he rules somewhere, and that's called heaven. He rules in heaven. He does not rule in the earth. He has handed dominion. He's handed his authority to mankind. And now you and I are to be ruling in the earth as God rules in heaven. And because God is so sovereign to his word, he can't even take it back. You realize he can't even have entrance into this earth without using a man. So from Genesis chapter 1 on, he has been looking for a man to perform his will and to perform his plan in the earth. That's why he needed a Moses to raise up his staff at the edge of a Red Sea and get the waters to part. It's God's power, but he's using it through a man. That's why he needed a Gideon. That's why he needed a Joshua. That's why he needed a David. A Samson. That's why he needed a man to accomplish his will in the earth. And he still does today. God would be in violation of his own word if he came down and said, you know what, forget you guys, I'll just do it myself. But we know that God can't violate his word. God can't violate his scripture because if he breaks one promise, he breaks them all. If he's capable of breaking one promise, then how can I trust him to do anything? So God remains faithful to his word. So he places Adam and Eve in this garden, in this kingdom realm, this garden that looks like heaven, this garden that uh, is a duplication, a replication of what heaven is. And he places man in charge of it. But man has a responsibility. Man's ability to have authority in the earth is directly tied to his ability to remain submitted to God's authority in heaven. Man's ability to operate in authority over the earth is tied to his ability to submit to God. So if he doesn't submit to God, then he gets removed from authority. Psalms chapter 115, verse 16. We just saw that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. You go over to Psalms chapter 115. It belongs to God. But Psalms 115, uh, 115, verse 16 says, The heaven, even the heavens, are the Lord, are the Lord's, but the earth he has given, given to the children of men. He's given that to us to rule and to operate over. So he's placed Adam and Eve in the garden, in this realm that looks like heaven. And they're to operate in authority. That's why I I make this statement. If God would have created Adam and Eve on any other day than the sixth day, Adam would have finished creation. Why? Because man's in charge. 
That's why God had to go to Adam and say, hey, I need you to name all the animals. I, I, don't, I, can't, I don't have the ability to do that. Adam, you name them. I just gave you all the dominion. I just gave you all the authority and over all these creeping things that are around you. So now you've got to name them. Adam did that. So if he would have created Adam on the second day, then it would have been Adam that would have caused the rest of creation to take place as he submitted to his king. That's how powerful this authority is. That's how powerful this life that God has given us, this purpose that God has given to mankind. That's how powerful this is. Now, Adam and Eve, when they were in the garden, were there to take care of one thing, the garden. Adam and Eve were not wandering around looking for heaven. Adam and Eve were not waiting for Jesus to come. Adam and Eve had one purpose, take care of the garden. And all your needs will be met. Sounds a lot like Matthew 6, verse 33. You take care of my stuff. And I'll take care of your stuff. See, God doesn't even want you worried about your own stuff. He wants you worried about his stuff. See, we're, we're the ones that go around worrying about, you know, which job am I going to work? And, you know, where, how am I going to make enough money? And, and how am I going to pay this? How am I going to pay that? And, you know, how am I going to get this? How am I going to get that? How am I going to take care of my family? He didn't even ask you to do that. He has never asked you to go get a job that makes enough money. He's asked you to go get a job to make influence and take care of his stuff. Because there's lost people at your job. And so while you're at the job wondering if you're going to make enough hours this week to take care of the bills that are coming up, he's wondering, are you going to take care of the people that I've placed around you to influence and impact for the kingdom of God? Seek first my stuff and then I'll take care of your stuff. You won't have to worry about bills and mortgage payments and car payments. You won't have to worry about how you're going to put food on the table. I will take care of that stuff. You just take care of my stuff. So Adam and Eve had everything. There's rivers flowing through this thing. He says, you've got, you can't eat of any tree in the garden except for this one. I mean, they, they've got plenty. They didn't have to worry about clothes. They didn't have to worry about where they were going to live. They didn't have to worry about how they were going to make it the next day. And they weren't worried about when Jesus is coming back to take us all home to heaven. So we've asked this question. And many of you have heard us make the statement. Some of you may have not. If Adam and Eve did not eat of the fruit in the garden... Where would they be today? Here. They'd be in the earth. They would be right here with us today. There's nothing that communicates in the word that at some point this was all going to change and that we were eventually going back home to heaven. We were created from the earth to take care of the earth. And that was God's original plan. Well, we know that man sinned. We know that man blew it. We know that man did eat of the fruit of the tree. They did not remain submitted to God's word, so they were removed from authority. And when man fell, when man fell, they were not removed from access to heaven. 
because they didn't have access to heaven in the first place. When man fell, man did not lose religion. Man did not become unsaved. Man did not lose Christianity. So if dominion is what God gave them, then what did man lose as a result of sinning? Dominion. Authority. When man sinned, he handed over his authority to the serpent. Have you ever asked the question why the serpent wanted to go and even try to trick Adam and Eve? Well, you got to go back to the beginning. Where was the serpent before he was in the earth? Because he had a beginning. He was up in heaven with God himself. And he wanted to do what? Overthrow God. He wanted God to bow down and worship him. He wanted to be uh, uh, number one, top dog, CEO. I want to be in charge. He got lifted up in pride. And God said, well, we can't have none of that. Because pride always goes before a fall. And a big fall came. Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning. That's pretty quick. Came straight to the earth. So if he's wanting to take God over so much, then wouldn't it make sense to just go after the next best thing? Because these two people running around in this garden, they look just like God. So if I can get them, it's the same thing. See, the devil knows who you are better than some of us know who we are. The devil knows the potential that you contain. The devil knows why you're here on this earth, even though we may not. The devil knows why God put all this together, even though we may not fully understand it. And so he's after that. And so he goes to Adam and Eve and he tricks them to do what? To sin. He takes the one thing that God said, do not do, and says, hey, it's okay to do that. Because he realized if I can get them out of submission to God, then I can have access to their authority. And he did. And so everything we see today is a result of a fallen world. Everything we see today is because there is a different God of this world, as Jesus said himself. There's another God of this world. There's another God that's calling the shots. There's another God that's dictating what takes place in this earth. And then the earth became cursed on top of that. Death entered man. Now, here's where we get messed up. Because now we think, okay... God didn't create us for heaven before. God, God didn't create us. You know, his original intention wasn't, you know, so that uh, we go to heaven. I get that. But now that man's messed up, I mean, all he wants to do now is just get man back home. He wants to get man back in heaven again. But that wasn't God's plan. Because, see, you and I, when things break, we abandon it. We want to leave. We want to get out. When we try something and it doesn't work anymore, you know, when the marriage doesn't work, we want out. When we don't like being a father anymore, we want to get out. When we don't like the church we go to anymore, we get out. When we don't like the job anymore, we get out. That's what man does. But that's not what God does. When God sees something broken, he fixes it. Fixes it back to what? Back to its original design. So now God's plan, he's got this plan in place. Because God's a planner. 
God does things with order. God doesn't work spontaneously. He knew, okay, I'm going to need a lamb slain before the foundations of the world. Before this thing even goes bad, he already has a plan to fix it. And his plan is, is I'm going to send some, someone, I'm going to put something in the earth to redeem them back to me so we can get the original intention back in place again. Because God's not excited that the thing that he hates most has now entered the thing that he loves the most. God's not happy that sin is now in man. And so he realizes the only way I'm going to be able to get man back in their original design and original intent is to take care of sin. But now there's a problem. He's the only one that can take care of sin. But he can't come down here. There's a problem. Man doesn't have the authority to cause a seed apart. But he can't come down and do it by himself. Man doesn't have the ability to redeem an entire nation and pull them out of slavery and take them into a promised land. But he's the only one that can do it. God is the only one that can save us because all of us are full of sin. And a person full of sin can't save people that are in sin. So we've got to find someone that is sinless. We've got to find someone that doesn't know sin. We've got to find someone that doesn't have sin in them. We've got to find someone that has never sinned. Well, that's God. (laughs) And he can't come into the earth. Because God gave access to man. Now, what's man? Well, man is a three-part being. Man is a spirit that possesses a soul, a mind, a will, and emotions, and lives in a body. Well, God's missing the body part. He doesn't have the natural house you and I have. The Bible tells us, John chapter 4, that God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. God is a spirit. He doesn't have access in a realm that he's decreed man has access to. So he's the only one that can fix the problem, but he's the only one that can't fix the problem. So he says, here's what I'm going to have to do. I'm going to have to find a way to get myself in flesh. I'm going to have to find a way to get myself down there. But I've got to wrap it in flesh. Isaiah chapter 9. We're talking about the original intent. We're talking about what God desired to establish from the very beginning. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Who's this talking about? That's a capital C and a capital S. Who is he talking about? Jesus. We all we read this one every December 25th, right? Christmas time. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the... And the what? Government. The government. 
You never thought about Christmas as a time for government. (laughs) You never thought about the birth of Jesus having anything to do with government. But see, God didn't bring Jesus back here so Jesus could bring bring us back to heaven. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it, And establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So God's plan was to get himself wrapped in flesh and reestablish his kingdom back on the earth once again. God's answer has always been a kingdom. God's answer has always been his government. Now, we don't like the idea of kingdom. We would rather have the idea. And and honestly, uh, in our day and age and in our culture today, because of how wicked man can be and how selfish man can be, democracy is the best form of government that we have today. The United States operates with the best form for man-made institution it is the best form of government we can have today if we have a dictator if we had a kingdom if we had one man in charge that called all the shots that wouldn't work out and we've seen it the kingdom naturally would not work but when you serve a king that you know loves you and has your best interest at heart you can serve that king see in a kingdom the king owns everything In a kingdom, and we don't understand kingdom, we don't understand this mentality. But in a kingdom, the kingdom, the, the king owns everything. He owns your house, he owns your land, he owns your cars, he owns your money. And at any time, the king can come and say, hey, I need that. And he gets access to it. But it's with your best interest at heart. It's not to come around and say, hey, I need that, you don't get to, you don't get to have it anymore. No, he's going to replace it with something else. Because he knows what's necessary for you to perform your function in the earth. That's a kingdom. The kingdom, the king calls the shots. The kingdom decrees the law. The king uh, uh, declares what we're going to do and when we're going to do it and how we're going to do it. But the king also is responsible for all of his citizens. A citizen is a reflection of the king himself. How well you're doing tells other people how well the kingdom's doing. So the king is very much invested in taking care of his citizens. Because if the citizens are downtrodden and poor and sick all the time, then guess what? The king's not doing his job. If the citizens run around and and don't have enough and can't accomplish what they're called to do, then the king hasn't been resourcing his people properly. But God, our king, God is 
love. So everything he does is motivated by love. Everything he gets to you, everything he supplies to you, every law that he puts in place is for your best interest at heart. The only time correction comes is because we're putting ourselves in danger. I mean, if my son goes running out to the road right now, and that road's at least 45 miles an hour, semi's running up and down that thing all day long, I'm not going to stand back and say, well, you know, I love him. I don't want to hurt his feelings. He'll, he'll get it. He'll understand. Let the, Lord, let the Lord's will, whatever the Lord's will is. <laughs> but this is how we approach it. If we see correction come, or if we see something show up that says, hey, you're heading towards danger, get out. Oh, don't, don't tell me what to do. I can live my life. Look, God knows my heart. <laughs> right? These are the things that we say. But the king has your best interest at heart. The king knows what's necessary for you to accomplish your purpose. And he knows when things will show up that will hinder you from accomplishing your purpose. And so we see here in Isaiah chapter 9 a prophecy. That means it's telling us something that's forthcoming. This is about 700 years before Jesus ever comes on the planet. And so... Over in Matthew, we know that Jesus is born of a virgin. He could not be born of man because man uh, is covered in sin. And so, by the Holy Spirit, Mary gets pregnant with a man that's born that we call the second Adam. He's the only other person on the face of the planet that is not born into sin. The only other person. Everyone else has been born into sin. And so Jesus shows up, but he shows up with a different mandate than everybody else. He's got a different purpose. Look at Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. The Bible is a book about a king, his kingdom, and his royal children. His royal offspring. Kingdom citizens. Royalty. You know why they call Jesus the king of kings? And the Lord of lords? It's because you and I are kings on this earth. You maybe didn't know, but you're sitting next to royalty right now. I'm standing before royalty today. You are royalty. You are a king. You're not even just a citizen in the kingdom of God. You are a king. You have dominion and authority as a believer. So Jesus shows up. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent and get saved so we can all go to heaven. That's not what it says. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. At hand means it's near or within reach. Jesus is preaching not salvation. Jesus is not preaching being born again. Jesus is not preaching how we all go to heaven. 
Jesus shows up and says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's not preaching, we're all going to go to heaven. He's preaching, we're all going to see heaven here. And this was at the forefront of Jesus' ministry. If you go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all that he talked about was the kingdom of God. The kingdom, the kingdom. The kingdom of God is like a lost coin. The kingdom of God is like a pearl of great price. The kingdom of God is like a field with treasure in it. The kingdom of God is like a dragnet. The kingdom of God is like this. And the kingdom of God is like that. That's all he talked about. That's all he preached about. Jesus did not preach about heaven. He talked about heaven, but he did not preach about heaven. Not one time will you find him with multitudes of people. I mean, it's recorded that there were, uh, you know, 5,000 men, not including women and children. You're talking upwards to 20,000 people within his voice. And he did not come here to tell all these people how to get to heaven. How have we missed this for so long? Jesus did not even preach about being born again. He didn't even preach about being born again. He didn't even ever get up and say, now this is how you get born again. He didn't even preach about the cross. Now when I say preach, I mean declare. This is what he was proclaiming. There were things that he talked about, sure. He talked about going to the cross with his disciples, a small group of people. He talked about heaven with his disciples, a small group of people. And even that's been misinterpreted. And he talked about being born again to one person in the middle of the night. So I think it's fair to say it wasn't necessarily at the forefront of his ministry. No, Luke chapter 4, verse 43. Luke chapter 4. I mean, if, I, if you go out on the road, if you go into most churches and say, why did Jesus come? Why was Jesus here? What was his purpose? Well, it was to die on the cross for our sins so we could all go to heaven. And that would be an incorrect statement. Luke 4, verse 43 tells me, But he said to them, Jesus, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, because for this purpose, purpose, because if we miss purpose, we miss everything else. What's he saying? The reason why, why, why I am here. Is to preach, proclaim, and demonstrate the kingdom of God. I mean, if you go back down to Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, we were in 4, verse 17. It says, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. What's he doing? He's proclaiming the kingdom, but now he's demonstrating the kingdom. This is what the kingdom looks like. Remember, Jesus is the only one that has shown up, number one, without sin. Number two, he's the only one that's come from heaven to earth. Jesus came with a purpose. Now, 
There's a difference between purpose and assignment. And we've taken Jesus' assignment and made it his purpose. I'm going to tell you right now that if you get this today, and this, you may need to go online and get this. You may need to get a CD. You may need to play this in your car for weeks and months. Because I'll tell you right now, I didn't get it the first time. Because it contradicted everything that I had heard my entire life. I was the one that was at risk. You look at Jesus' ministry. Who were the ones that struggled receiving from him? It wasn't the hurting people. It wasn't the dying people. It wasn't the sinners and the lost people. The ones that struggled with his message were the religious people, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. Why? Because they had a picture of what God looked like, of what heaven looked like, of what a a, a godly lifestyle, of what the Messiah looked like. And when it didn't match that picture, they didn't see it. Could it be possible that we've missed the message of the Bible? Could it be possible that over the last 2,000 years we have misinterpreted, we've seen the trees, but we've missed the proper meaning of the trees for the forest? Healing, that's a tree. Prosperity, that's a tree. Salvation, that's a tree. The cross, that's a tree. Grace, That's a tree. But all those are trees inside of, zoom out, the forest. What I'm hoping to do today is show you the forest so that you can better understand the trees. I want want us to zoom out. I want us to see the big picture. I want us to see the full intention and purpose of, of why we're here and what God was intending to do so that we can understand things better. See, Jesus' purpose was not the cross. It was his assignment to accomplish the overall purpose. Jesus' purpose was to preach and demonstrate and restore the kingdom of God, period. That's what he came to do. And that's all he talked about. But he realized there's a problem. The only way I can get my people back into the kingdom is I have to take care of the three-letter word called sin. And if I don't take care of the sin, they can't be in the kingdom. If I don't restore them back to my father, they can't be in the kingdom. They can't function and operate like Genesis 1.26 says. So Jesus goes to the cross, takes care of all of our sin, takes upon himself all of the sin that had ever been, that had ever taken place, and that ever would take place, dies and rises again so that you and I could be back in the kingdom with him. Our salvation is entrance into the kingdom. You understand that salvation is just the beginning, not the end. So we've made salvation the end. Yay, I'm saved. Now let's go to heaven. Let's pack our bags and wait for the rapture to take place. But no, the cross came as a means to get you in the kingdom because Jesus said, 
this. He said, the kingdom's not here or there. You can't say there it is or here it is. The kingdom of God is within you. See, in Genesis chapter 1, God took his kingdom and he put it all around the world. All over the earth. You can see it. But now, the kingdom is only demonstrated and only manifested through us. The kingdom first starts in us before it gets around us. Why? Because there's still a God of this world. God came to establish a kingdom. And he sent Jesus to reestablish that kingdom which was lost in Genesis chapter 3. God came to restore a government system. A government system. I'm going to tell you right now, everything that people are looking for in the world today is found in the kingdom of God. They're looking for it and they don't even know it. Everybody's searching for the kingdom. This isn't about a religion. One of our pastors down in St. Augustine, they're over our college ministry. Now, they just recently got entrance in to the college ministry there, and uh, they've begun to find that in the college ministry that these college students, they have so many questions. It's just amazing. And they're curious to find the right way of living. And so Pastor Josh, many of you have met him. He's the one that's over it, and, um, you know, he had one guy come up to him, one of the students there, and said, what, what makes Christianity different from, you know, Islam and Buddhism and, and, and you know, all the other different... And he's like, I, I, I've looked at them all. And he said, therein lies your problem. You're bringing Christianity down to a religious level. And this thing isn't even about a religion. Jesus didn't come to establish Christianity. Nowhere will you find that Jesus called any of his disciples or anybody that followed him, you're a Christian. Also, when you get into the book of Acts, you will never find a Paul or a Peter of any of, any of them call themselves Christians. Hey, you know, guys, come here real quick. You know, we all look like Christ. So why don't we, why don't we just call, I mean, we follow Christ. Let's call ourselves Christians. They didn't vote on that. If you go to Acts chapter 11, you find out that it was people outside in the world that looked at them and said, wow, they look a lot like that Jesus guy. We'll call them Christians. It wasn't even a name they gave themselves. You know what they called themselves? They called themselves disciples. They called themselves believers. And they called themselves brethren. That's what they called themselves. Saints. When we limit the message of Jesus to Christianity, when we limit the message of the kingdom to religion, you lose it. Because God God never intended to establish a religion. Religion is man-made. Religion is what has hindered the message. Think about it this way. If, if I say, I'm going to talk to you this morning 
about the message of Martin Luther King Jr. Right now, you're not thinking about who Martin Luther King Jr. is and how old he was and where he was born and what he did. You're thinking about what he actually talked about. Slavery. And abolishing slavery. Seeing white man and black man as equal, doing the same things together. Equality. Freedom. So when I say the gospel of Jesus, why does everybody think about Jesus? I didn't say the gospel about Jesus. I said the gospel of Jesus, which means the gospel of Jesus is the gospel that Jesus preached. We have limited the gospel of Jesus to a message about who Jesus is and who Jesus was. And he went to the cross and he died on the cross for our sins. I mean, you'll see it all throughout Acts. All the, we, we've been preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. What they mean is, we've been preaching the same thing that Jesus preached. Well, what did Jesus preach? The kingdom. The kingdom of God. Paul preached the kingdom of God. If you look at the book of Acts, it starts out with uh, Acts chapter 1. It says, Jesus uh, remained on the earth teaching and demonstrating the kingdom of God. And then you get all the way down to the last chapter and it ends with Paul doing the same thing. Teaching the kingdom of God. Not teaching about the cross, not teaching about Jesus. Those things are vital. Those things are important. This is all about a relationship. This is about a relationship with Jesus. Well, relationship's part of it, but that's not the whole. You don't say a prayer just so you can be friends with Jesus again. You don't just say a prayer so you can get to heaven again. You say a prayer, you make Jesus the Lord of your life so he can come in and he can rule and dominate and have control in your life once again so that you can rule in the earth as he's called us to. Because God did not intend to set up religion, did not intend to set up Christianity. And so everything that we minister, everything that we preach is has this underlying principle of the kingdom of God. I'm going to tell you right now, it's very few that see this. It's very few. In our day and age, it's getting away from this. Because it no longer means that I can just go to church and be a good person and try to do the right thing and I'm going to go to heaven. doesn't mean I can just say a prayer and then do whatever I want. It means that I say a prayer and I'm committing to and agreeing to operate in the kingdom of God and demonstrate the kingdom of God in my life. It's all about the kingdom. It's all about the kingdom. And in the end, Jesus is coming back not to wrap us away. He's coming back to reestablish the kingdom again. In the end, when it's all said and done, that kingdom will be reestablished. See, the kingdom message is why we have succumbed to the lies of the enemy. The kingdom message is, is why the enemy, the missing of the kingdom message, is why the enemy is ruling us instead of us ruling him. We're in charge. 
That authority and that dominion from Genesis 1.26, we have that once again. We're in charge. Oh, God is in control. God is in control of one thing. His word. And if he says it, he can't do anything opposite of what his word says. So if he says, let them have dominion and let them have control. Oh, well, that's what Jesus said. That's what God said in the beginning. Okay, let's let's fast forward to Matthew chapter 16. Jesus talks to Peter. And he says, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And to you, the church, I will give the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What's he doing? He's given the authority right back to the church again. He says, for all those that are part of my church, all those that are part of my body, all those that accept me as their Lord and operate in the kingdom life that I have for them, you're in charge again. You rule. You dominate. Because God, Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Romans chapter 5 tells me that because of Christ's sacrifice, because of uh, what he did on the cross, I have been made to reign as kings in this life. In this life. Not when I get to heaven. I don't have to wait to heaven to rule again. In fact, when I get to heaven, there's somebody else already in charge there. I can't rule in heaven. The Bible doesn't tell me that I have dominion in heaven. It tells me I have dominion on the earth. I don't want to go to heaven. Because I don't have any purpose in heaven. The Bible states no purpose that I have in heaven. All the purpose that I have is tied to this place. The mess is there for you to clean up. The mess is there for you to fix. The the problems that are going on in this world, that's why we're here. Because the church is here. And a church that just wants to sit around, sit on their hands and wait to go to heaven is missing every opportunity in the world to do their purpose. I hope this opens some eyes. I hope that you see some stuff. I hope that you'll give attention and meditate on these things. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians that, or uh, actually it's over in Acts. It's in Acts where Paul commended the church at Berea. And he says two things. Number one, he says that their, their minds and their hearts were open. But they searched the scriptures to confirm what they heard. So two things. Number one, they weren't closed off and saying, the way, I, the way that I know right now is the only way. But they also weren't gullible. They were open and receptive to, yeah, I'll hear you out. But when you're done talking, I'm going to go back to this and I'm going to find out and make sure everything you're saying is truth. And I hope you do that. Because you're not obligated to believe anything I say just because I say it. I didn't go to Bible school and get licensed and ordained so you could just fall in line and do everything I tell you to do. I came to instruct you. 
I came to help train you to be a studier of the word yourself. So I'm not asking you to be gullible and just swallow everything, but I am asking you to be open and receptive to the word, even if it contradicts everything you've ever heard in your life. And then go back to the word, because all I know is this thing's truth. That's what we've been talking about on Wednesdays. This is truth. And then we have a Holy Spirit that will even show us what this says. I mean, what more do you need? You've got the Bible, which is God speaking to you. And then you've got the Holy Spirit, which is God in the third person saying, here's what I'm saying. You know, it's one thing to write you a note. You know, some of our instructors have had an issue, uh, you know, not an issue, but it's a struggle sometimes when you get someone else's notes and you're trying to teach their class just based upon what's on the paper. Well, God didn't even do that. God gave us the notes and then he said, hey, you can meet with me anytime and I'll explain to you what's in there. I mean, what more do we need? He wants us to know truth. And this is going to set up where we're going next month in ministering on the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. But heaven not being a place that we go to, heaven being a place that we bring. Heaven being a place that we see. Heaven being a place that we come and realize and recognize in our lives today. I don't know about you, but I want to see heaven on earth. I don't know about you, but I want to see his will in heaven being done on earth. Isn't that what he told us to pray? Isn't that the model that he gave us in Matthew chapter 6? He said, pray this way. How, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is what he's been preaching. This is what Jesus spent three and a half years trying to get his people to see. This is not about a religion. This is not about Christianity. Do you have to be born again? Yes. Do you have to be saved? Yes. Do you have to make Jesus Lord of your life? Yes. But it's so that you can operate in the earth, in the kingdom that God has called you to. That is your purpose. Every person on the face of the planet has the same purpose purpose. I don't care what you do for a a living. I don't care what your background is. I don't care where you grew up. I don't care if you had both of your parents in the home or came from a broken home. I don't care what your history or background is. Every single person has the same purpose. The man living under the bridge over here has the same purpose as the billionaire living in the skyscraper. Same purpose. To bring the kingdom of God to this planet. It's what drives my life. It's what drives this ministry. It's what drives this church. Everything that we do in this ministry is to help people discover their purpose. But you cannot understand your purpose without understanding God's purpose. you'll open your mind to this. I hope that you will see this. Again, many of you have heard this before and it's, it, it takes you just have to keep it in front of you, man. When, when, when my pastor first introduced this for the first three or four months, every single service, he would open up with an intro into the kingdom of God before he preached his message. And it added an entire hour to the message. But it was necessary. And not everybody got it. 
Not everybody stayed on board. Not everybody hung around. But when you're a lover of the truth, when you're a lover of the Word of God and you value the Word of God, you'll go to it and say, just show me truth. Don't go to the Bible to disprove anything I'm saying. And don't go to the Bible to prove anything I'm saying. Just read the Bible and allow the Holy Spirit to show you. But there's more. There's more. There's more to this life. Even for believers, there's more. I'm just, I'm just getting started. I'm just getting started. There's so much around me that needs to be influenced by the kingdom of God. And it's not going to happen without me. You pray for your loved ones. And, 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 and yes, prayer is powerful. But God wants to get people in front of them. It may be you. You pray for your coworkers. Well, quit praying about them and start talking to them. Because you are the way that you're going to get the kingdom to them. It's your words. It's your conversation. It's your reality. It's your living that's going to shine as a light before all men. He wants to reveal his kingdom. He wants to reveal it to us so that we can manifest it to the world. Father, we thank you this morning for your kingdom. That you do have a plan. You don't watch down from heaven and look at a place that's all messed up and have no idea how to fix it. You've already provided the answer to all the chaos. You've already answered. Uh, you've already provided the answer for all the problems. So, Father, we yield ourselves to your word. We yield ourselves to this message. We yield ourselves to your kingdom and the kingdom operating in and through our lives. Father, I thank you this morning that we give you full reign and full liberty in our lives. Open up our minds. Open up our hearts. May we be receptive to the word of God. May we not miss the truth of your word. May we not miss what you're trying to speak to your church today as a result of tradition as a result of previous thinking, as a result of how we used to think and how we used to live, even if we think it's good. Father, may we open our minds to your word so that we can see the truth of your word. We thank you for this today. We thank you for all you're doing in and through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.